and welcome to My C5 Life, a podcast where we talk about life with a disability. This is your host, Lindsay Knott, coming to you live from my wheelchair. I obtained my spinal cord injury as a teenager, which sees me getting around on four wheels instead of two legs. Through this podcast, I will share my lived experience of life with a disability and how we can improvise, adapt, and overcome life challenges. Welcome, Leaf. Today, um, Leaf will be on my podcast. We're going to be talking about brokerage, getting people with who have a disability into the housing market. Um, you and I have met a couple of times just recently, and yeah, we would love to expand on our conversation from last week and then see what we can do and go from there. So welcome, Leaf. G'day, Lindsay. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks well, for having me. No worries. Thank you. So who is Leaf and how did, how, where did your journey begin? So originally from New Zealand, grew up in uh, the Bay of Plenty. I have two sisters and a brother. Um, My mother was a freelance photographer. My father was an entertainer. He toured Europe. Uh, So we moved around a lot. So through most of my schooling, uh, I wanted to be an architect. Uh, I loved using using my hands. I loved woodwork and metalwork. And always thought that I would uh, be in in a... an industry where I was uh, like end up being a builder or a carpenter. Uh, so coming from there to where I am now is, is quite ironic. Uh, but I moved over here in 1995 to pursue a, uh, a career in a rugby league to try and crack the Broncos. And after about three years of trying, I realised that I probably needed to uh, explore other avenues where I, I was going to end up crippled. Because I learned a lot of very valuable life lessons in, in that career. And, uh, and that's what's brought me here today. Awesome. What, what role were you playing? On the field? Yeah. Okay, so I was, in hindsight, with hindsight's a beautiful thing. I probably should have been a prop. I was playing in the backs, uh, as a, in, the, in the halves. And that's where I was probably playing out of position for a long time. But I just didn't have anyone to say, hey, you're playing out of position. You should be a prop. Yeah. So that was one of the lessons I learned. Uh, but I have no regrets. It was, a, it was, I had a great time. I was really fit and it taught me a lot of life lessons. That's good to have on your resume. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, so you've had a varied life coming over from New Zealand to Australia. You're living here in Brisbane now. So, what is your role as a financial broker? As a finance broker, my role primarily is to represent my clients when they're applying for an application with the bank, when they're applying for finance with a bank or uh, any, any entity, any or financier that, uh, you know, offers personal loans or home loans. How did you get into brokerage? <laughs> so prior to being a uh, finance broker, I was a personal trainer for 13 years and that's actually where I met both my directors in the Stafford and David Woolcock. I was training in this for about eight years as a client I call it the longest uh, job interview on the planet because I must have helped Innes move house twice. I was security at his uh, daughter's birthday party and he saw me getting actively involved in a lot of investing, uh, both on the internet, uh, a couple of Ponzi schemes even uh, that you know obviously were unsuccessful. But he, also, he always saw me trying to better myself and, and, and create passive income. So when the opportunity came up with Innes and David to get into the mortgage broking market, uh, they were going to use me as a, a referrer because I had a large client base. 
And that's when I just said, well, look, do you have a, a, a mortgage broker? Their intention was to hire someone uh, that was fully qualified so they could hit the ground running. But instead, uh, I put my hand up and, and just said, look, I'm, I've been a personal trainer for 11 and a half years and, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's easy what I do. So it was time for me. It was just it was a, an exciting opportunity to, to change careers. Expand, expand your horizons. Yes, yes. So uh, I did the training and, and here I am today. So what training did you do? Like what's involved? Sure. So I did a original uh, three-day course. Uh, and at the end of that, there was a six-week assessment as part of it. And from there, I've also gained my diploma of finance as well, uh, just to further my qualifications. And the rest of it has been on-the-job learning. Awesome. So how long does it take? Um, say, sorry, I'll start that again. So how do you assist your clients? So my primary role is to manage their application from the very first phone call or point of contact right through to the, the settlement of the loan. So when basically when they pick up the keys to their property and then manage it beyond that point. So uh, there's, a, there's a process, a structured process that I take each and every client through and it's always the same. And the only thing that changes is the, the policy around the application and that's uh, tailored um, around my clients' uh, requirements and their needs. So, how long does it normally take for an application to go through from when that from that initial phone call? Sure. Generally, the average time. I mean, at the moment, you're looking at about two to three weeks, depending on on what the type of transaction is. Uh, if it's a straight purchase, and depending on the bank's policy, their processing uh, uh, times at the times of loan submission. Um, but, yeah, so generally with a, with, a, with a straight up what I call vanilla application, uh, two to three weeks. Can you tell pretty quickly if a client has the potential to ascertain their goal? Yes. I, I have, a, like I said, I have a structured system where in the initial orientation I do what's called a pre-qualification checklist. So it's basically a financial snapshot of their overall position. And I can ascertain that information over a five to 10 minute phone call. If not, can you guide them through to achieve their desired outcome? I have to be very careful about giving financial advice, but when it comes to drawing on my own experience, because I'm an investor myself and I'm a homeowner, so uh, I've, you know, I'm happy to recommend to a client who or potential client who's not exactly in the right position to put an application in I recommend or just draw on from my own experience, but I do have qualified professionals like my directors that I can refer them to if they want to seek that kind of advice. So expanding on from our lunch conversation the other week, you're working with clients with a disability. Growing up, did you know of anybody who had a disability before your current role? Sure. So when I was a personal trainer, as I said, I did that for 13 years. I trained clients with disabilities uh, I had a client with spina bifida. I had another client who had cerebral palsy. I think that was the, the the two main clients that I dealt with with a disability, and that was a that was a very a really cathartic experience for me, because I found that prior to meeting me, they they would have trouble even engaging with a with a trainer. So, biggest misconceptions about people with a disability that that you had or found from the interactions that I've had. I guess 
The biggest misconception I would say is that someone with a disability doesn't want to be treated like someone with a disability. They want to be treated with the same dignity, respect and courtesy that you would offer anyone. And a lot of them, a lot of the people that I've met with disabilities have been very down to earth, very centred and just it's a memorable experience meeting those people. Yeah, we get around, we just do it differently. We just want to be treated the same as everyone else. So that's awesome to hear. Absolutely. So working with clients with a disability, um, you're you're new in this section from what I understood from our meeting the other week. So recently your portfolio expanded to work with clients with a disability. How did that how did that come around? So the first client that was referred to me with a disability was a longtime value client of one of my directors. Rebecca was blind and deaf. I followed the same protocol that I did with every other client that I met. The only difference being in in that occasion was the actual management of the application by the bank involved because it was the first time they had dealt with disability of that nature and they had no protocol in place to deal with it. So it was confusion 101 on their end and to the point where my client almost went public with how she how discriminated she felt which was really disappointing but I did get the loan approved in the end so yeah awesome so she's actually investor has her own property now correct yes cool yes. so what is the for the misconceptions around people who, who may have a disability who have a disability wanting to get into the housing market not knowing what to do how do I go getting there I want to do it I may only have this sort of assets or I may only have a certain amount of income or I'm on a concession or I've got part-time work or full-time work or whatever they've got. How can somebody, how can we get, how can we get clients or the audience to start getting into the market? How does that work? I guess in, in my role, I get a lot of inquiries and they're of the same nature, all the same questions. The circumstances are always different and generally the answers are always the same. So if you're, whether you've got uh, income that you may not think would service a loan, you, don't, you only know what you know. My advice to people out there who are in that situation is pick up a phone, you know, talk to a broker. That's what we do. Jump on Google. It's a lot of the questions, I mean, the two main ones I come across is, is the income that I have able to service a loan? And do I have enough deposit? And that's just a basic question that I get from a lot of first home buyers, irrespective of their situation. But you, if you don't ask, you'll never know. Why do you think brokers resist working with clients with a disability? From my own experience, I can't speak for other brokers, but in the in- interactions that I've had, and I'll give you my most recent client with a disability, for example. They had put in three separate applications with three different lenders and, and engaged with several brokers. And the brokers, I, I guess it's just human nature. When you don't understand something, you fear it. So the knee-jerk reaction there is just to run away and hide or avoid that situation because it takes energy and effort to actually apply some understanding, do some research, ask some questions. My most recent client had been through that process and was was quite lost because 
she felt discriminated against. Brokers had lodged her application with the wrong lenders and it was all policy-based. So it actually had nothing to do with her circumstances. They just hadn't done the homework. So when she came to me, I went through the same process I would with any other client. There's obviously a few compliance uh, requirements, uh, depending on the situation, but that goes without saying for anyone in, a, in, a, in what I'd say would be an out-of-the-box scenario. So you've got to think outside the square. Absolutely. And you've just, for me, it's just about doing the research, making sure you apply the right policy. And in the, in the case of my most recent client, I took her to a major lender and, and got her pre-approved within three days. And it was a simple transaction, whereas the last two banks she approached, she was verbally approved over the phone, went and had an appointment, and then she was declined. And when I looked at the bank policy, I went, well, the, the problem there was you were going to the wrong bank, but you'd been given the wrong information. And this is just my opinion. Obviously, the bank saw her and went, oh, wait a minute, too much of a liability. And then it was a decline. So when, you, when clients have been declined, either before or after a disability, if they've acquired a disability or at any part of their life, can they still get a, still get a loan? If you've been knocked back from a bank, can you still get a loan? In general, yes. I've been declined myself with finance. And nine times out of ten, it comes down to policy. If you if you don't match the policy with the individual, you're going to get speed bumps, you're going to get declines. In the case of my last client, the policy fit. And it was even approved under an exception, but I knew that. And I wouldn't have lodged it had I not known, hey, we can get this loan approved under an exception. We just need to satisfy a few of the requirements from the lender, which we did. So it's not you, you can go to you can go to multiple banks, different lenders to get that loan approved for clients. So it's not just the big four banks that you can go to. There's a lot of options out there for people. Absolutely not. The 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 big four serve their purpose. But there are second tier lenders, what we call second tier lenders, like St George Bank, ING Bank, and then there's what we call non-conforming lenders, and they cater to scenarios that are out of the box. So someone, for example, who only has pension or disability income, there are lenders out there that will cater to that client, that will consider their application. But again, if the client doesn't know that, then obviously, and, and the fear of oh, you know, what if I put in an application and I get a hit on my credit file. And just going back to your point in regards to that, you have to be careful about how many applications you lodge to a lender because every time you do, that's another hit on your credit file. So when they pull your credit file, if they see multiple inquiries, that's going to go against you. So if you go with a broker that knows what they're doing, they're going to get the policy right first time, they're going to lodge and you're going to get approved first time. So we got potential clients out there on a concession, some sort of income, a history. So it's achievable, a little bit of extra paperwork, a little bit of extra hard work from both parties. You take a case through and we have an opportunity to get people out there into the market to own a piece of land or a unit and start a portfolio. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's The process is the same irrespective of the individual circumstances, the process is the same. It comes down to policy, 
the compliance portion of the loan is the protocol there is the same. There may, depending on the individual circumstances, there may be a few more compliance requirements. But again, it all fits under that that standard loan process, irrespective of their situation. And are they eligible for the first homeowner's grant? In general, yes. The only requirement, depending on the grant, is that you're at least a permanent resident of Australia or an Australian citizen. So, for example, if you were going for the first homeowner's grant, $15,000, you need to be an Australian citizen. To get uh, no stamp duty, so a stamp duty concession, what they call it, uh, you just need to be a permanent resident. And as a first home buyer, you don't pay any stamp duty. Sounds great. So your clients are able to come to you, take it all the way through, emotions with all of your clients, your high all of your clientele. Personally, you must it must take a, a toll on you or you trying to achieve an outcome for them. Is it emotional for you and the highs and lows? Hand on heart, I, I guess from my experience coming from being a personal trainer for 13 years and then prior to that being a McDonald's manager for seven years. So I was very customer-orientated, I'm a family man. I have five kids and a beautiful wife. And I guess my point of difference as a broker is that I I, I bring that genuosity, if that's a word, uh, and sincerity to every application that I lodge. I try to treat it as if it was my own because I understand how important it is for someone to own a home. I understand that their home is their castle. So I don't take that for granted when I'm lodging alone. And as a result, yes, I don't like it when – situations don't go my way or when a bank that I'm recommending doesn't follow through on that recommendation. That's disappointing. And I've probably had to apologize to a few of the contacts at the banks when, when they haven't done their job properly. I've, I haven't uh, to be towed around letting them know. Is it a nine to five job? In a perfect world. Yes. But uh, nine to five, a lot of my clients aren't available for appointments and interviews because they work nine to five, shift workers. So I guess as a broker, you have to your hours have to be flexible. On the weekends, that's a, a great time to network, have networking breakfasts. So yeah, and, and I don't mind that. I, I you know weekends to me. I, I mean, I have my family time, but I I, I allocate that as, as as I need to. But uh, definitely, from my perspective, no, not a nine-to-five job. So during your career in different job roles, what has been the biggest achievement that you've had so far? I guess in line with why I'm here today, as a, as a personal trainer, I had a, a client of five years. We'll just call her Soldier because that's exactly what she is. Soldier had uh, cerebral palsy mild cerebral palsy. I met her at my at a big box gym where I was I'd been training for a couple of years. We had a conversation one day where she sort of off the off the cuff said, "Oh, I'd never be able to do one of those endurance events." And I sort of I had a bit of a dig and said, "Oh, are you talking about tough mudder, Spartan race, true grit?" She said, "Yeah, I just not with my legs." Right at that moment, I just sort of looked at her and said, "Right, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to get you. We're going to finish one of those races. So, after a good nine months of 
of really hardcore training. And I'm talking, you know, she'd be in tears in a session. She'd, her legs would be shaking. She'd be collapsed on the floor. Uh, we got to, a, we entered a true grit race with a group, group of about 12, 10 to 12 of us. It was about 10 Ks. And it was, would have been about 30 obstacles through that race. Soldier started out really well. And then it just got to, I think it was about the 5K mark where her legs just shut down. So as a team, we literally carried her through the rest of the course, helped her get her amazing upper body strength, and we helped her through the rest of that course, and she completed all but one of those obstacles. And I think the course organisers were so inspired with what we did, they used our photos, our team photos, to promote True Grit for the next six months. Like We were going onto their website and we'd see photos of Soldier and us. And so, yeah, that, that was, yeah, for her to be able to cross that finish line and go, oh, my God, I did it. When she ne- when she counted herself out right from the start, so, and that was part of my role as a personal trainer was to you know to to make people believe that they could achieve the impossible. And I know that sounds cliched, but that that's one of the the most uh, enjoyable experiences in my in my my last career that I had. Fully inclusive in the end, then teamwork and the organisation promoted it as well. So it was a fully inclusive experience for you and your colleagues and also the organisers using the, uh, the footage as, as well to promote the event. Yes, and most importantly for Soldier, it was proof that, you know, you put in the work, you get the result. Everything's possible. Absolutely. And I, look, I think back on that day fondly because that actually opened the, the gateway for her to then start trying. I mean, she wanted to do a second one and a few months later and, and I sort of had to say, okay, <laughs> one step at a time. One of those things I'll, I'll never forget because it was not just on the day, it wasn't just me and Soldier, it was my team and how eager they were and you know how motivated they were to get her over that finish line. So how do you recharge at the end of the week after a big week of brokerage? Can I say premium whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening and thank you to Cliff and the team for producing the podcast. Look forward to seeing you next time.